Well, good morning, Crossroads. It's good to be here with you. We're in the midst of a, a, a series in the book of First Peter, and uh, we're looking at what it looks like for hope to live right here, right here in our hearts, right here in our church here at Crossroads, and right here in our community. Peter knew a thing or two about hope. He also knew a thing or two about persecution and suffering. Keep in mind that this man was leading or help leading the church in Jerusalem. And we live in the church in America in the 21st century, but <clears throat> back then, in the first century in Jerusalem, saying that you were a follower of the way, a follower of Jesus Christ, meant that it carried with it persecution, isolation from the community. It was a religious community. Judaism was strong. The Pharisees ruled, not only religiously but politically, in many ways in that community. And then there was the overarching tyranny of Rome that carried the sword to anyone who would disobey. And so you can imagine representing this message of hope in a place like that where the message that they conveyed was one of another king, a king that was above all other kings, a message of resurrection from the grave from those who had put him to death. The Jews had yelled, crucify him, led by their religious leaders. So they didn't like the idea that this man had been raised from the dead and there were people following and worshiping him. And then, to top it all off, spreading the message of hope to others. So there was great persecution that came on the church. And in the midst of this environment, this man Peter, who had found himself in jail on more than one occasion, delivers a message of hope and encouragement to the church that still resonates today. Do you realize, if you want to be discouraged... Read about persecution that's happening in the church around the world. You know, we have it good in America. As, as much as we get frustrated at times, there is still freedom to assemble. There is still freedom to lift our voices up in praise. There is still freedom to share Jesus with our neighbor or our friend. There are places in the world where if you do any of those things, You will be punished severely in some cases. You can even face death. And so there are martyrs, Christian martyrs, who their only crime is to love Jesus and love others and want others to experience the hope that they've found, the hope for a life of meaning and purpose and, and a real life that will last into eternity with the living God. That's what we have in Jesus, hope. Hope should live here. Hope should live here. We should not keep that hope to ourselves. Amen? Amen. Amen. This morning's message I've entitled, Ready to Represent. Because Peter wanted the people of that day, the church of that day, <clears throat> to be ready to represent. 
represent that hope, represent Jesus Christ in their community and their world. Is that still relevant for us today? Do we still need to be encouraged to be ready to represent the hope that we have? Absolutely. You know, even in California, here in Sacramento, if you would have told me in 2019 that there would come a day when we were told as the church not to open our doors, not to gather in person, not to sing the praises of God in this community, I would have said, that's crazy. This is America. Those kinds of liberties can never be taken away. And yet under a pandemic, all kinds of liberties have been taken away. All kinds of things have been said. You need to listen. The thing that really creeped me out was when our governor got up and said, you need, we're going to follow the science. Yeah, and we laugh because we've all seen, you know, hypocrisy in that area. But also, where is the we're going to trust in God? What happened to in God we trust? It's on our money. Why is it not in the mouths of our politicians? Even the mouths of our leaders in the church. Why are we not turning to God for our deliverance and our hope and our help? I want to ask you this question. If all we could do is trust in science, we're going to be lost. Because we're walking around with our five senses. You go back to the Garden of Eden, they were operating in science when they sinned. Because Eve looked at that apple on the tree that God said, you should not eat of that tree or you will surely die. That's God's word, that's God's instruction to them. But Eve looked and she trusted her sense of sight. She goes, it sure looks good to me. And the devil came along and said, yeah, God's just trying to keep you down. You need to trust your senses. You need to trust the science. And so she grabbed that apple and she ate. And here's fool Adam over here going, hmm, I'm going to see if she drops dead. I'm going to hold on here. This is going to be a little experiment, right? We're going to have a scientific experiment here because I'm watching my, my wife that God gave me eating this apple that God said, don't touch. And then she handed it and said, hey, nothing happened to me. Have a bite. And Adam goes, yeah, I think you're right. Scientifically, nothing has happened. The experiment shows that it must be good. If we trust science over God, we're lost. And yet as our political system, as our world drifts further and further away from a foundation of God, we're going to find ourselves at odds with that world if we're living in the truth, if we're trusting and hoping in the message of truth that's found in God's word. And as those two forces start to become more and more clear that they're opposing one another, there's going to be persecution. So this message this morning is relevant to the American church today. And we need to think about what Peter, who went through severe persecution, floggings, beatings, imprisonment, mistreatment. This is a man who understood what it meant to be ready to represent. The recipients of this letter understood it as well. 
Let's recap some of the things we've looked at that Peter wants us to understand so that we'll be ready to represent. Chapter 1, for those who weren't here, it really focuses on remembering who our God is. We have to know who God is. If we're going to trust him, if we're going to follow him, if our God can be put in a box or our God is just some little thing, then when the tough times hits, guess what? We're going to just walk away. But if our God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal, the one who spoke everything into existence, if we have a God that is much, much more grand than we could ever imagine, and that he has communicated that he loves us through his son Jesus, then that is a God worth following. We need to focus our hope on what he has done, what he continues to do, and what he has promised to do in the end. That's what chapter 1 of 1 Peter is all about. Chapter 2, not only do we remember who God is, but we need to remember who we are in Christ. You remember chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And we have a new calling. We're to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do we remember who we are, church? Do we remember what God has called us to be and do? Without those two things, knowing him and knowing who we are in him, we're not going to represent. We won't be prepared. We won't be ready. Chapter 2 really focuses on the, on the last part, how to, live a godless, uh, how to live a godly life in this godless world with godless authorities over us. It's going to happen. It happened in Peter's day. It's happening in other parts of the world, and yes, it will happen, and it, it is beginning to happen right here at home. We have godless authorities that are over us. Well, how do we, how do we live? How do we navigate that? Peter gives the instruction. I encourage you, go back and listen or watch online those messages if you weren't here in chapter 2. And last week, Pastor Kurt led us in looking at what it looks like to, to live in our homes. There's instruction for us to, to be the men and women that God has called us to be right in our home. It all begins there, right? We're not going to represent out there if our home's a disaster, if we're not being who God's called us to be right in our home. Raise your hand if the hardest place to be what God called you to be is amongst your house. Okay, we have a few honest people in the, in the room. Because I'll be the first to say that's the toughest environment. My wife can drive me crazy. She's not here. She's serving the children this morning. Right? She's wonderful. She's amazing. And yet, it's, she still gets on my nerves sometimes. Right? Let's be honest. We're just people. We can rub each other the wrong way. My kids, well, let's not get started. They're friends. That's even worse. Right? And there are times where I'm tempted to not represent hope. I'm representing wrath today. Representing judgment. No, 
God's place, right? I'm to represent love and hope and be the right ambassador even in my home. Amen? That's where it needs to start is in the home. So listen to last week's message if you didn't get a chance to, to hear that. Today we're diving into the second section of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Would you open in prayer with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I just ask this morning that you open our ears, open our hearts to the message that you want us to hear, that you want us to embrace. God, let it not be my voice, let it be your voice that people hear. And God, solidify in our hearts what it looks like, what you want for us to be ready to represent you in this world, at home and beyond. God, help us to be what you've called us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Now finally, all of you should be like-minded and sympathetic, of one mind, sharing the same kind of thought process about life, and sympathetic. Sympathetic was a quality that was not admired in Rome. It's pity. It's having this sense of like, I care, I'm concerned, even if it makes me look weak. Rome did not admire anything but strength. And here comes God telling us to be sympathetic. Should love believers. Should love one another in the church. That's where it needs to begin. And be compassionate and humble. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you can inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and see good days. This is great right here. Peter is quoting scripture. He's quoting Psalm 34. David wrote Psalm 34 when he was on the run from King Saul. And David learned some life lessons during that time of his life. And he wrote these words down, and Peter's meditating on these words. His scripture of that day, remember, God is guiding him to write scripture that we have today. But for him, he'd open up his scripture, and he, he dove into the psalm, Psalm 34. And it brought this inspiration and comfort to his heart. For the one who wants to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil. How many times do we bring persecution into our lives because of our mouth? In our homes, mouth can lead to strife, right? Persecution. In our world, if we open our mouth in a way that isn't what God wants us to do, we certainly can bring on that kind of persecution unnecessarily. I've done it. I'm sure you have too. So if we want to love life and see good days, we must keep our tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And he must turn away from evil and do what is good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their request. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. How should we live in this world how should we live in this world? Number one, I think this passage, Peter understood that we are called to practice love. 
First and foremost, we're called to practice love. God is a God of love. He's loved us greatly. And he's called us to love one another. Who or what are we to love? There's three things I see in this section. Number one, believers in God's church. 1 Peter 3.8 says, you should love the believers. You should love one another. Sometimes that's the toughest environment, right? It's hard to go out there and love people who may be our enemy if we first haven't practiced truly being patient, being kind, not keeping a record of wrong right here at home. God's called us to love one another. You remember John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus is in the upper room. He had just washed his disciples' feet. That evening, he would have the Passover meal with them, and he would be betrayed, and the next day he'd be crucified. Jesus is in that room, and he says, a new command I give you. Love one another. And they're going, hold on, that's in the Old Testament. That's not new. He goes, here's the new part. As I have loved you, so are you to love one another. He had modeled it. He had walked with them for three and a half years, loving them intently and intensely. As I have loved you, so love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Number two, we're to not only love those in the church, we're to love our enemies that mistreat us Look at verse 9, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. Who's given us evil? Who's given us insult? Usually we call those people our enemies. If your friends are doing that, they're not much of a friend. But we can expect that in a world where we're going to have adversaries. Matthew chapter 5, again, Jesus' words, you have heard that it is said, love your neighbor." And hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Man, I was part of this little league with my kids and I opened my mouth. I said a few things. They weren't mean. They were just, I was assertive. And this guy didn't like assertiveness. So I was, uh, I was pigeonholed as being like a guy that um, was going to cause trouble for him. And he was an authoritarian, a dictator. And I didn't realize that at the time, but I came to realize it because I got a call that said I wasn't chosen or selected to be a manager of a team because I cussed in front of the kids and I mistreated kids. And I'm, I'm like, what are you talking about? And man, this verse came rolling in for the next six months while I went through that period of time. Love my enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. It was tough. And I wasn't always successful. But I know I'm called to that. There's going to be times where you're mistreated, where you're bullied even. How do you respond? Do you give insult for insult? Do you give evil for evil? We're called to love our enemies. Jesus modeled it. You remember he's on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's love. That's loving your enemies. Number three, we're, we're called to love life that God's called us to live. If anyone would love life and see good days, we're called to love the life that God has given us. You know, Solomon 
he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and he went through a period of time where it says, I hated life. Here's a man, the richest man who's ever lived. Prosperous. Everything you could ever ask for. He's the king, the most powerful king in the world at the time. And he's miserable. But he writes these words in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. I have seen there is nothing better for man than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? He came to realize that there was a lot of vanity that he was involved with. A lot of stuff that didn't matter. But when it came down to it, God had given him life. And a life that he was called to enjoy. And when he came back to God, he started enjoying life again. Read Ecclesiastes sometime. It's a trip. But it's all summarized in the last chapter. And you can read through that. How are we to live in this world? We are called to practice love. But that isn't where it stops. We're also called to pursue peace. We're called to pursue peace. How are we to pursue peace? That's a good question. Are we supposed to wear the peace t-shirt? Is that how I'm called to pursue peace? It's kind of fashionable. I haven't seen anybody wearing it lately, but in the 70s, when I look at those pictures from some of you guys, with the long hair and the peace, peace and love t-shirts, you guys were happening. I wasn't born yet. I'm still young. No, how are we to pursue peace? Number one, it says it right here in the passage. Keep our words in check. Wow. Read the book of James. You'll find out that's impossible. But we are still called to pursue the impossible. We're still called to have a responsibility over our words and over our mouth. Are we not? We have to keep our mouths in check. Proverbs 15.1, again written by Solomon, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Anybody ever experienced that? Mm-hmm. Almost every one of my fights with my wife starts with me with my big mouth. God gave me a big mouth. But it's my responsibility to treat her lovingly with my words, is it not? We're to pursue peace. How? Number two, don't repay evil for evil. As Christians, we can live on one of three levels. We could repay evil for good. That's a satanic level. Don't be on that level. And I hope none of you are. But we can be on a human level as well. And a human level is eye for an eye. We could repay good for good and evil for evil. But there's another level that God wants us to live on. And that's a divine level. That's a God level. And that's where we repay good for evil. Boy, that's a tough level to live on, is it not? But he's called us to that. He's called us to live on that kind of level. Listen to what he says here in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, he says this. He says, do not pay back evil for evil or insult for insult. You must turn away from evil and do 
what is good. You must seek peace and pursue it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 and 39, the words of Jesus. You have heard that it is said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. In other words, do not be, get in a conflict with an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Boy, the principle of turning the other cheek, that's a tough one. I was a youth pastor, and there were kids that were getting like, you know, in a situation where somebody was picking on them at school. And the natural thing is like, hit them back. And I'm going, but I read Matthew and Jesus' words, and I'm supposed to preach the different message to you guys. Why did he have to put that in here? I'm more like, if somebody hits you, finish it. No mercy. That's the human side, right? The divine side says no. Is that the way Jesus treated people? Did he zap everyone who messed with him? No. He turned the other cheek. Boy, if we could have that kind of representation of Christ, would it change our world? It would. Romans chapter 12, Paul writing, the apostle Paul, he writes in verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is in the right what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace. Finally, number three, how are we to pursue peace? Give a blessing for insult. Wow, give a blessing for insult. This is what we were called to, right? Because the world's seen enough of tit for tat, Right? You insult me, I'm going to take you down. Oh, look what they posted on Instagram about me. Let's see how long. And there's revenge and there's, there's just constant cycle of at odds with one another. Can you imagine if somebody spoke harshly of you and said, hey, I'm praying for you and your family. I know God loves you and I'm, I'm working on it. Right? Let's be honest. But can you imagine that kind of response to an insult? A blessing? Hey, I'm going to pray a blessing over you and your family. I've honestly done this on, on Facebook, like instant messenger stuff, right? With some people I grew up in high school that just spew venom at me and others. And I'm like, you know what? God loves this person. And apart from God, this is the way I'd be. Right? So I'm going to try and represent however I can and I'm going to give a blessing for an insult. We're to pursue peace. Romans chapter 12, Paul continues, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. It pretty much drives them crazy. That's what it means. Because when you give them a blessing, they don't know what to do with that. Right? They're ready for like a war, and you disarm them with a compliment and with love. And it messes with them. They might just be like, I don't want to deal with this person. They're just psychotic. Or they, it might start to break down their walls. 
and God works on them. Either way, that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. Let's continue. You guys aren't listening fast enough. Verse 13, and who will harm you if you are deeply committed to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be, dis- be disturbed. But honor the Messiah. Honor Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing good than your own stupidity, right? Never good when we're suffering for our own choices of stupidity. How should we live in this world? Number one, we're called to practice love. We're called to pursue peace. And finally, we're called to picture hope. We're called to to be a picture of hope. Our lives, our mouths should be a picture to others of what hope is and where it's found. 1 Peter 3.14, how in the world can we display that kind of hope? How is hope displayed? Number one, we need to fear God rather than fearing man. When we're concerned about, well, what are they going to think? How are they going to, if our minds are thinking about being judged by mankind, we're never going to represent. We're going to be too wrapped up in getting our identity from others around us. We need to have a fear or a deep respect, reverence, and awe for the living God. And when our fear is there, We have nothing to fear here. Amen? Amen. Isaiah Isaiah 8, 11 through 13. Again, Peter quoting scripture that he knew at the time from Isaiah. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything people that this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. Verse 13, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. That's what Peter knew. Isaiah wrote those words. There's another guy who was persecuted. The Bible tells us that he was martyred for his message of hope. Son in two. That's a rough way to go. Luke chapter 12, verse 4 through 7, Jesus' words again, And I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body, and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more more than many sparrows. Number two, we're to fear God rather than man, but we're also to follow Jesus as Lord. If we're going to picture hope, we have to follow Jesus as Lord. 
you know, I'm, I'm running low on time, but let me just say this. I was going to dive into a little bit about Peter's own story. But remember, Peter denied Jesus three times as he was being tried and accused of crimes and, and mocked and ridiculed and beaten. He was right outside the courtyard. He was looking in on all that was happening, and he was confronted. Hey, wait, this guy was one of them. Peter goes, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't associate with that man. No, 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 you, you, I saw you with him. No, 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 one me. No, 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 this guy right here, everybody come over here. This guy was with Jesus. And then it says he cursed. He cursed his denial. Think about this man is now writing what it means to set apart Christ as Lord of your heart. To make sure that you're always ready for an answer. To some degree, it's coming from his own failure. His own sense of like, I wasn't what I was supposed to be in that situation. But let me tell you, now I'm going to live. Because Jesus has reminded me that I'm still on his team. That he still loves me. He still has a plan for me. And how many of us have failed to be a voice of hope in a moment in our lives? Is God done with us? No. He wants us to be recommitted. He wants us to be what he's called us to be. Listen to Jesus' own words in Luke 12, 8. I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, that's a title for Jesus, will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Let's not live in denial. Let's live saying Jesus is our hope. Jesus is my Savior. And I'm not going to back down from that. And I want others to know him because he's changed my life. If you don't have a testimony of what God has done in your life, then you likely haven't met him. Number three, hope is displayed when we fear God rather than man. We follow Jesus as Lord and we face persecution with patient perseverance. Luke chapter 12, verse 11 and 12 says this, Whenever they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. He also said, Jesus said in these words in Matthew chapter 5, those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I have a whole nother section of my message, but guess what? You guys are lucky today because I'm preaching again next week. So I'm going to move this into next week's message. How's that? Everybody can clap. Kurt gave me permission to do that. So, because there's still some good stuff coming up, and I don't want to shortcut it, right? So we're going to end here.
And I think it's a good spot to end because we've looked at what God has called us to be. Being ready to represent. Being ready to represent. Do you remember the three things? I'll end with this. The three things one more time. We need to practice love, pursue peace, and picture hope with our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this message this morning. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for his words that your Holy Spirit inspired him to write to benefit us, the church, to help us to be ready to represent you and your hope. Hope should live here in our hearts first, but it should also live from our church into this community and world. God, I pray that you help us individually to recommit ourselves to being ready to represent, to setting apart Christ as Lord of our lives, You are the Lord. You died and you arose again on the third day. There is no other place we can find that kind of hope, that kind of Savior for sin. And so, God, I just pray that we recommit ourselves to you and representing you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.